0: Express yourself through art, and show the world your heart, express yourself through art, and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Rand.
1: This is Linda Skidmore. This is Gail Brown. This is Jessica Mitros. And we're with String of Pearls and we want to say Happy Anniversary! Happy Anniversary! Happy Anniversary! Happy Anniversary!
2: And welcome. You're listening to Art on the Air on WVLP 103.1 FM and on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. This is our weekly program covering arts and arts events in Valparaiso and throughout Northwest Indiana. I'm Larry Breckner of New Perspectives Photography, right alongside here with Esther Golden of The Nest in Michigan City.
1: Aloha, everyone.
2: We're your hosts for Art in the Air. Underwriters for Art in the Air are Valparaiso University's Brower Museum, regional art patron Mary LeVan, and our landlord, Walt Breidinger of Paragon Investments. If you'd like to find out more about leasing space in this historic building, please give Walt a call, 219-462-5821. I'd like to thank them for their generous support. Thanks to Greg Kovach, WVLP's station manager, and Tom Maloney, Vice President, Radio Operations for Lakeshore Public Radio. Art in the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant through South Shore Arts and is part of the National Endowment for the Arts. If you're interested in being a guest or sending us information about your arts, arts arts-related event or exhibit, please email us at WVLP at gmail.com. That's program, along with all of our programs, are streaming live at wvlp.org. Art in the Air is rebroadcast on Monday at 5 p.m. Our shows are carried by Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM every Sunday at 7 p.m., and you can hear them at lakeshorepublicradio.org. Our entire show archive can be heard at our website, breck.com A-O-T-A. That's breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com A-O-T-A. And make sure to like us on our Facebook page, Art on the Air, WVLP. Art on the Air is always looking for financial support. We'd like to thank our current supporters. If you're looking to support Art on the Air and, of course, the WVLP station, we'd be happy to come part of the WVLP family anytime Esther and I especially would invite you to become an underwriter of this program in particular. We have information on our website at breck.com slash AOTA. You can find out support information there or at wvlp.org slash support. So don't just be a WVLP and Art on the Air listener. Become a supporter or underwriter in whatever amount you're able to do so so we continue to bring you this great content and this great local programming. And like I say every week, don't give till it hurts. Give till it feels good. And you'll feel so good about supporting Art on the Air. For our Art on the Air Spotlight, we'd like to welcome Dustin Ritchie. Uh, he is the production manager for Indiana Tourism for the Dunes and also Thad Donovan, who is the uh, director of the motion picture that they're going to send and have a special event coming up at the 49 Theater. Welcome to Art on the Air Spotlight
3: thank you for having us
2: well Dustin tell us a little bit about this special event you have coming up uh, the date times and everything where it's going to be and what it's about
3: sure thank you <laughs> so uh, this is a partnership of Indiana Dunes Tourism in partnership with the National Park Service and Smith Donovan we're going to be producing a new orientation film for the National Parks Visitor Center Indiana Dunes Visitor Center off of Highway 49 and this will be on October 8th at 6.30 p.m. at the 49er Drive-In in Valparaiso so the 49er drive drive-in owner actually donated the 49er for us, and we're going to be hosting a fundraiser gala. Uh, All proceeds for this event will go to help enhancement projects for the Visitor Center to enhance it for becoming a new national park. And so, What we're going to be doing is we're going to be hosting two videos, a 24-minute video that was produced by Smith Donovan, a local artist here, as well as American Wild National Parks Adventure, and that is narrated by Robert Redford. There will be a cash bar, as well as snack boxes provided to all of the customers, and we will have live music presented by Johnny V. Those snack boxes will be provided by Ivy's Bohemia House.
2: Do you know what's going to be in the snack boxes? What food's going to be in the snack boxes?
3: Uh, the snack box is going to be—it's going to be an assortment of different things. It'll be, uh, but there'll be just like, like snack foods. So there'll be uh, assorted cheeses, uh, perhaps a, a warm pretzel, um, meat sticks, things like that. Uh, the menu is not 100% <laughs> confirmed yet, but that'll be what to expect. So this video is to replace
2: probably your current orientation video now that you're a national park. Am I correct? Correct.
3: Yeah. So this video will replace the current video that is being shown at the visitor center. I like to say around Things tourism is that that video is so old, the glasses the rangers are wearing in it are coming back into style. So uh, we're really <laughs> excited about this partnership because the national park, if they had done it on their own, it would have cost them upwards of $200,000. But honestly, uh, the art- artist is on par with a PBS documentary, if not a National Geographic documentary. And that is mostly due to Thad Donovan and his staff.
2: And now that you brought up that, Donovan, tell us about the production itself, uh, how you approached it and uh, how it's different and how it looks like. So tell us a little bit about the show.
4: Yeah, so as Dustin alluded to, the the current video is quite old and it's been a long time coming to update that. And it was an update, not just of the raw content, the story, the message that's being told, but the quality, right? Nowadays, we have access to things like drones where we get amazing aerial footage. And when you see the aerial footage of the dunes, you're going to think this is Yellowstone or yosemite or something the the dunes look spectacular from the air and of course they look spectacular in person on the ground as well and so you know this was a over a year-long effort because it requires so much footage i mean we we have so wonderful shots of the the amazing bird migrations of some of the details at (laughs) pinnick bog the the um the carnivorous plants that are out there uh the flowers that bloom in the spring at heron rookery there's so many things for people to experience first hand and we wanted to sh- showcase that and the only way to do it is just perseverance and just get out there uh when the the sunset when the lighting is just right and it's been a lot of fun it's been super exciting and i'm, I'm so glad that indiana dunes in the national park uh gave me the privilege of putting this together we think that uh everyone that loves the dunes now you're going to love it even more
2: once you see this video tell us a little bit about your background real quick in uh, filmmaking
4: yeah so i've been running a, a marketing company for the last 20 years smith donovan and uh you We've covered a lot of things from design work to uh, creative campaigns, logo development, websites. But video is the way things are communicated these days. It's the easiest to digest. It's the most dynamic. It's just what we're used to. And, you know, so this is a perfect uh, project. Very good. Any future projects you're looking at doing uh, like like this? uh... You know what? That is the perfect leading question because the National Park video that we're doing is actually we're working with uh, Indiana Dunes Tourism right now to produce a, a series. of videos that focus on the ecological stories of the Indiana Dunes area. And so, you know, that covers the whole National Park, which has many distinct sort of uh, habitats and locations. And we're going to do sort of deep dives into each of those locations. So watch for that in coming months and and next year.
2: Dustin, really quick, give us uh, the rundown of how to get to this and
3: dates. Sure. So the date is going to be Thursday, Mm -hmm. October 8th at 6.30 p.m. You can purchase tickets on Eventbrite. The actual name of the Eventbrite um, event is New Indiana Dunes Nature's Masterpiece Film Premiere. And I'll say that again. New Indiana Dunes Nature's Masterpiece Film Premiere. You can also find this on our website, indianadunes.com, as well as by following us on Facebook at Indiana Dunes.
2: Okay, we'd like to thank Dustin Ritchie from the Dunes uh, and uh, Thad Donovan, the filmmaker, for being on Art on the Air Spotlight. Thanks for coming on the show.
3: Thank you so much. Thank you so
2: much. You're listening to Art on the Air, WVLP, 103.1 FM, and on Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1. FM. And next on Art in the Air, we have globe-trotting South African, classically trained flautist, composer, producer, whose focus is on world and roots music. Among his many awards, include seven South African Music Awards, the equivalent of the Grammy in the United States. His 2014 album, *Wins the Samsara*, won Best New Age Album Grammy Award. Please welcome Flute Painter Wooder Kellerman to Art on the Air.
5: Thanks, Larry. Thanks for having me. I'm really glad to be with you.
2: So glad Bye-bye. to have you. Well. Uh, first of all, we'd just like to get a little bit of your background. I always like to call it your journey, your early journey, how you got from where you were to where you are, starting out like uh, with flute and you know, like well, where you grew up and went to school and things like that. So tell us a little bit about your background, Wouter.
5: Um, yeah, I, I grew up in Johannesburg in South Africa. And um, my, when I was 10 years old, my parents took me to a symphony concert and asked me which instrument I'd like to play. And I like the idea of using my breath to express myself, like in singing or talking And my brother chose the clarinet first, so I went with the flute. And my two sisters chose the violin. So we were pretty much a very musical family, although my brother and sisters didn't continue um, until late. They just played for a few years. But I fell in love with the flute immediately. When we... um, My teacher, my my first teacher was sick on my first lesson, so I couldn't have a lesson, but we had already rented the flute. And I wasn't allowed to put the flute together because my mom was scared I'm going to break it. So every day I would just open the flute, open the box, and look at the flute. You didn't
1: just practice with the mouthpiece without putting it together?
5: I I wasn't allowed to touch it. My mom was Uh, like, this is so expensive. You cannot touch it until, until the teacher shows you how to do it. And so, by the time I the next week, I was rearing to go. I was, you know, I just couldn't wait. And I had this amazing teacher that was so encouraging. And from the first day, I just loved it. I just went home and practiced the whole afternoon, and it's just been a kind of a love love affair since then. How
1: many flutes do you have?
5: <laughs> I I have many flutes. I have um, my my favorite flute is my is the gold flute, um, and that's where I play the one that I practice every day and uh, that I play most of my music with, but I've also got a, an alto flute, a bass flute, contrabass flute, which is taller than I am. It's a huge flute, and then I've got the Bansuris, the Indian flutes, you know. and Is that the of.
1: one in the video too? It's sort of a coppery color? There was a flute that seemed to, I didn't know whether it was picking up the colors from where you were, or whether it was a different color. Yeah, the, uh,
5: basically my, my, my flute is a gold flute, the main flute, uh, It's um, and so that's coppery, but also my alto and my bass flutes are actually made from copper. Mm. So they're all coppery, but the the, the Expensive one is the gold one. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, do you get teased by woodwind players because you you have a uh, uh, non uh, reed uh, instrument in that family of instruments?
5: Uh, they, uh, I think they're envious. I think they're envious because right. we don't have to deal with reeds and uh, all kinds of humidity. And, right. Uh, choose that. So, and also the the whale flutes uh, get played. Um, you have a much more flexibility to make a variety of sounds. On the flute, you can make a beautiful classical sound, you can you can play a little bit more rough shot and um, play kind of a jazzy sound, and then you can sing and play, you can beatbox while you flute. We call it flute boxing. There's so many different kinds of sounds that you can make. And, uh, I know you,
1: you coax so many different sounds out of that flute. It was just amazing. It's
5: just Yeah, it's beautiful. very exciting. It's, it's very transporting, exciting.
1: actually. I was...
5: uh, thank you, yeah. It's like a palette of colors that you have and that you can, at your disposal. So I'm very lucky with the, with the flute, very happy to have we played the flute.
2: So you got your flute at 10 and started lessons. So how did how you move forward from there?
5: Yes, well, what happened was when I, I progressed very quickly at school and I had different teachers, um, but South Africa... Didn't have the greatest teachers because, you know, we're kind of a little bit remote in the classical world. So, but I I progressed very quickly and I eventually, still in school, was um, in the National Youth Orchestra and uh, principal flute of the National Youth Orchestra. Uh, But when, when I left school, I wanted to study music, but my parents didn't have money to send me to university. So the only way I could get to university was with a bursary. And I was offered a bursary to study engineering. Um, because that's my other talent. My two talents are maths and music. And so, the, so I, I went to university studying engineering while still keeping on playing flute. I actually tried to do the two degrees in parallel, music and engineering, but that was just too much to do them you know, both um, full time. And um, so when I left university, um, I had to work back for my engineering company that sponsored my studies. But I, I only lasted a year with them, started, went on my own and decided to be a full-time musician and ran out of uh, money within six months.
2: <laughs> yeah.
5: <laughs> <laughs> and went back to engineering. And then a year later, I went, I tried again, ran out of money again, went back to engineering. And then by then I'd started a young family. Things became very expensive. You know, children can be so expensive to yeah. look after. And... Um, and that carried on for about 20 years. I tried to swap over to, to be a full-time musician, and it just never worked. I would always run out of money until my, my daughter kind of finished university. My, my son was finishing school. Things were a little bit less expensive. I'd already paid off my house, you know, and I tried again, and this time it worked. <laughs> out of
2: curiosity, what kind of engineering was it you did, Wouter?
5: It was electronic electrical engineering. Oh. And I, so what I did is I actually started my own company in software to give myself the flexibility to play music. So I, I still kept on playing the flute every day. And every year I would go overseas to do master classes with some of the world's best flute teachers. So I'd go to Europe or the US and have special master classes. And that was my, my yearly holiday, you know, and then I would still have time at home to practice. Uh, but I, f- I could only make that final transition when I, in about 2005. Um, then I started writing my own material, and I crossed over. Up to then, I, I played mostly classical music, and so I started writing my own material, crossed over to kind of a world roots feel, and then things started to work, and uh, I could actually survive like, making music, and it's just been a fantastic ride since then.
1: So, what was the first piece that you wrote? What was the flavor of it?
5: Um, it was this piece called Half Moon, and it's actually probably still one of one of my most successful pieces because I, I had I have got this um, little plastic fife. It's a five dollar fife. It's, it's supposed to be a training flute um, for, but it makes a beautiful sound, and I love the idea that it doesn't have um, keys. It's only got a holes. That you can play on so you could actually glide your finger on and off the holes to glide bet- between notes and i just started experimenting with that and um while i was with my guitarist my guitarist is also my yoga teacher so we would meet twice weekly and we would do yoga and then play music we started experimenting we were both clueless um with improvising because you know my whole background was um classical music
1: classical yeah
5: yeah, yeah so but we were both hopeless with improvising. So we, we, we felt very comfortable around each other because we were equally bad, you know. So what, what we did is we would just play anything that comes into our minds, completely random stuff that comes in your mind. And most of it would sound really bad, but every now and then we'd just get lucky and hit on something that sounds pretty nice. And then we'll remember that, we'll record it and move on to And then finally, slowly over time, pieces started to come together. And it took about two years of that for me to write the music for the first album. Uh, at that stage, I wasn't even planning an album. You know, I was it just kind of happened. And uh, so that was my first album, Color, um, which is actually it's, still one of my best-selling albums.
1: It's a beautiful transition when you go from playing to then wanting to create the music. I mean, it's it's, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a wonderful transition.
5: No, it was, uh, it was like an, uh, an adventure to us. You know, it was a very, it's an for a classical musician to work, to walk into the improvising world is quite daunting because, you know, you, you just, you, everything you've played before is from a sheet of music.
1: And so precise. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah,
5: exactly. So, but, you know, we loved it and we enjoyed it. And since then, it's been a beautiful journey.
2: What are some of your influences, like uh, flautists, that you admire that maybe inf- at least initially influenced you and then later on?
5: Um, yes. Uh, uh, James Galway was an early influence. Of course. Influence, <laughs> and uh, I just loved his sound. So I would actually, I would just put the record on and just imitate, try and play exactly like, <laughs> like he plays, you know. So he, that, he was a very strong influence. I still think he's amazing. Um, a little funny story is I actually met him a few years back. We were both performing at the uh, National Flute Association in the US, in the U.S. in um, Washington, D.C. And uh, we played the same uh, brand of flute. So this, the flute maker arranged the dinner for every, for all the professional musicians that play these his kind of flutes. And I was sitting next to James Corway in the bus on the way to dinner. I said to him, I don't know what it is about Washington, D.C., but but whenever I come here... My flute sounds amazing and I can't figure it out whether it's just the place or maybe it's the humidity or what is it about this place? And he says, I don't know. I don't think it's the humidity. The only thing that makes a big difference to my flute playing is if I switch on my hearing aid. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Such a good sense of humor he has. (laughs) Any other influences, Um, flute players? Um, yes, um, you know, in the jazz world, Hubert Laws was very influential. You know, Ian Anderson of Jethro Tull. Okay. I think yeah. The wild, the wildness of the wild. Playing.
1: Yeah.
5: I met him. Um, I met him as well. We were play, both playing at the Blues Fest in Australia about three years ago, and uh, met him and. Uh, I asked him, how did he start playing, you know, doing all these strange singing and playing techniques and all these things. And he said, well, he couldn't get a proper sound out of the flute. So he had to improvise. So he started singing while playing. And that's where that came from. It's it's not because uh, that was his idea. It's just because he had no other options. (laughs) But, yeah, he's um, he's so creative in his techniques. And um, so that's also been he's also been a strong influence.
1: Well, that's that's sort of sums up the life of an artist, I think. <laughs> just uh, you use what you have and manipulate it t- to work.
5: <laughs> yeah, I think you you're very right with that. You know, it's it's never a sort of a complete picture, and it's kind of just traveling in the dark and finding things.
2: Now, you played on the Emmy Award uh, film "Eye of the Leopard." You were heard on uh, that, uh, and that it's a television film, I believe. So it's an Emmy Award, correct?
5: Yes, that's right. That was actually my first. Um, recording outside of the classical world because I had just started my own. I wanted to record my own album and I couldn't find a studio that um, recorded the flute well. Everything sounded absolutely dreadful. And then um, at that at the time, I had volunteered my service as a as a flute player to one of the the, the most amazing singers in South Africa called Nia and um, because I I needed to to build experience on. Um, with the microphones, because I I'd, I'd, I'd played only classical music and I'd never used amplification. And so I volunteered my service and I said to her, for, I'll play for you, for your show for free. Um, just give me the chance. And, and she loved what I did. <laughs> and so, so what happened is her um, producer had to write the music for this um, documentary. And uh, he asked me to play on it. And he recorded the flute beautifully. And I, I loved what he did. So I actually went to his studio, wrote down the name of all the equipment that he had and all the settings, and then imported <laughs> it, <laughs> it into South Africa. And since then, that's been my setup as well.
1: So what is your personal practice, you know, your daily practice?
5: Um, well, I have uh, a kind of a um, sort of a routine, daily routine that I go through. I, um, I start with long notes. Because I think sound, the color of sound is one of my main focus uh, in the flute playing. You know, so many to me, it's not about how many notes you can play. But if you can play one note beautifully, to me, is much more important than playing a whole barrage of notes. So I, for example, for six months when I was younger, I played one note for six months. And I said, I'm not going to move to the next note until I'm happy with this note. And I never got happy. I gave up after six months. (laughs) But that's how determined I was. To try, and that's how important it is for me to play with a beautiful sound. So I, I practice my, I pray, I do that first. Then I do my scales and um, all kinds of technical things. And that's sort of the basis of my daily practice.
1: Does it matter whether it's inside or outside? Do you mostly practice inside or do you take it outside as well?
5: I like to take it outside because... Um, it can breathe. <laughs> yeah, and, and also the other thing is there's... Um, there's no reverb outside. It's very dry. So you actually sound worse um, than you do inside. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's nice to practice like that. So when you come inside, you sound amazing. <laughs> That's the one thing. And then secondly, um, it's also nice to get a bit of sun. Also in our world, just to look far into the distance, you know, is good for your eyes and for your well-being. Well, it's so also I good compl- for the
1: trees. It's good for the trees and everything <laughs> outside to hear it as well, I think.
5: Yeah, so, My grandmother
1: always used to sing to the plants and said that, you know, she felt that that, uh, that helped, you know.
5: <laughs> yeah, so um, because I spend so much time inside, you know, you're practicing and um, and recording and working on your computer and do promotion and marketing and all that, a lot of insights. So it's just nice to be outside of it every day.
1: I really love the the one note because when I teach young children art we start with one color like how much can you do with just one color and we stay with one color for a while and then we move to another color before we start mixing them so
5: yes and it's cool. a very it's a very different way of looking at music for ex- you know uh, and it's, it's quite interesting in the the classical world versus the jazz world. You know, in the classical world, the color of the notes are so important, you know, and how you play the, the, the phrase. In the jazz world, it's a bit more important which notes you choose. And some, some jazz musicians don't really care what color, whether they're making a beautiful sound or not. It's more about the notes. Um, other, other jazz musicians do both. They're pretty amazing. They play with a beautiful color and they have beautiful direction but you know there's something in everything so the um, in the classical world a lot of there's a lot of improvisation but you don't improvise with notes you improvise with colors
2: now you uh, also played at the uh, world cup in uh, what, 2010 for what some 700 million people
5: <laughs> that was the that was the fifa world cup uh, soccer closing ceremony and that was one of my when i finally made that breakthrough to to go full time to become a full time musician uh, my kids and i were Sitting around the kitchen table, and they said to me, "Dad, what would you like to achieve? Uh, what's your, what are your goals?" And I said, "Well, the first dream would be to get a Grammy nomination because that's <laughs> just that's the the biggest prize in music." And um, And, you know, in the film world, there's the Oscars, there's the Golden Globes, the the, the Cannes Music, um, the Film Festival. But in music, there's only one really internationally accepted, recognized uh, prize, and that's the Grammy. So, But it just felt like a completely impossible dream. And the second one is I wanted to play at the Soccer World Cup. Closing. I, I knew it was going to come to South Africa at some stage, so I w- wanted to play at the opening or closing ceremony, but that was also a completely unlikely dream, because they don't usually choose instrumentalists to perform at these big events. It's Everything is about vocalists, and um, so it was really unlikely, but somehow it happened, and it was just one of my proudest moments to be there with South Africa's big moment on the world stage, and there was 83,000 people in the Waiting for the soccer game in the stadium, and uh, and 700 million people watching on TV. It was pretty nerve wracking, though.
1: <laughs> so, did you then? Um, so, this is like a very powerful tool for you. So, what are your next goals?
5: <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't have it. I um, my goals now is just to carry on make, to make beautiful music. Uh, that's the, the main thing. It's always been the same thing, and that's what gets me up in the morning is to make beautiful music and send it out into the world and hopefully make a difference to someone
1: like i like i told you before we started the interview i just became so captivated with breathe you know it just just filled me with this beautiful journey. I just so thank you.
5: I just yeah, thank you. That's a that's a solo flute piece um, that's um, split between the bass flute and the um, and the normal uh, C flute. And uh, I do all kinds of effects, and I do some beatboxing, fluteboxing yeah. on there as well. And uh, so I've really tried to use all the different colors one can make in that composition.
1: You're in the jungle. It's wonderful.
2: <laughs> you finally did make it to the Grammys uh, in uh, 2014, uh, winning the Best New Age album with uh, Ricky, who I'm also f- uh, friends with through the FYC group uh, in the Grammy world. Tell us a little bit about that uh, album that you collaborated on.
5: Um, yes, Ricky and I actually got to know each other. I really loved what he had done before, and he happened to love what I did, and we started talking, and we, we decided to do a song song, for uh, Mahatma Gandhi and Nelson Mandela, because it turns out that Mahatma Gandhi came, um, he spent um, many of his formative years in South Africa. There's a huge link between South Africa and and India like that, because Mahatma Gandhi, I think he spent 20 years in South Africa, and he started this whole movement of peaceful resistance, which uh, Nelson Mandela was very influenced by. So we decided to write these two songs for for Nelson Mandela and Mahatma Gandhi. And then we just loved working together. It just worked so beautifully. And we just carried on working until we finished this album and um, entered it for the Grammy. And lo and behold, to my amazement, we got nominated. And to me, that was the goal. The nomination was already much more than i could ever dream of and i remember the uh, the night before the the grammys we were at the baltimore hotel in la and uh where everybody gets together around grammy time and peter cater was there as well he was nominated as well in the same category and he had been nominated eight times before this was his ninth nomination he'd never won and so i, d- I didn't think we would have a chance uh, against someone like him and he said to me Voter. I hope you have a speech ready because I think you, you're going to get it tomorrow. <laughs> and I, I didn't even have a speech or anything because I was just not expecting us. I, I was just so grateful to be there. So I went back that night and tried to work a little speech. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and the next day, it was just pretty amazing. It was mind-bogglingly it's just, just amazing. It's just a moment I'll never forget.
2: I know, briefly, you know, my first Grammy experience, not having anything in it, was just going when I was a, a member. That was 1983, and uh, wow. it's just such an experience just going to it. Of course, you'll laugh at this. Mm-hmm. is The cost of going to the Grammys then was, for a member ticket for two of them, was $50 for the actual awards ceremony and to go to the party afterwards. I know, it's amazing now what they cost. But, uh, yeah. And uh, for some reason, me with my little four-track, little recording studio ended up sitting in row 13. With you know, I'm like, you know, I'm not a celeb. And, you know, oh, hi there. So, yeah, it was, it was quite an experience. I never have had quite the great seats since then. I went for quite a few years in the 80s there. So,
5: <laughs> Yeah, I've also not been very lucky with good seats, except the, the two years, the one year when we won and the other year we also got nominated. Then you get the better seats. Um, right. But the other, uh, you know, sometimes you're up there, you're so far, you know, you can't hardly see anything.
2: Well, and then 2015, so, you were also nominated for Love Language, correct? Uh, yeah. Was, uh, still from Still Life for the Grammys? No, uh,
5: that was the, so we first won in, um, with uh, Winds of Samsara. Oh,
2: that's right. Right. And that's your and second
5: think, one. Uh, we got nominated, but this was in the contemporary instrumental category um, as well. It's a different category which is actually very competitive category because all instrumentalists go into that, all instrumental music, you know, violinists, pianists, sax players, um, you know, everybody's in there. So um, it's, it's just pretty mind-blowing as well to get that, you know, to, to get that thing. that.
2: Tell us a little, you know, well, I'd like to listen to something from Love Language. Tell us a little bit about Still Life from Love Language and we'll take a quick listen to that.
5: Yeah, that's, That piece is a piece I love. There's a movie called Frida about this beautiful artist. And um, I just love that song from the movie. So we did our own version of it. And um, that was basically that. Okay, well, let's go ahead and take a listen to
2: that from Love Language Still Life with Wouter Kellerman. That was Wouter Kellerman, uh, that was a Grammy-nominated during 2015, uh, called Solo to or Still Life from Love Language. Beautiful.
1: So beautiful.
2: Thank you. So in uh, 2017, uh, you uh, collaborated with the Soweto Gospel Choir, and uh, it was a whole different, called Symphonic Soweto. So tell us a little bit about uh, uh, that uh, collaboration, which has really got great South African roots.
5: So gorgeous. Yeah, that, yes, that's the, my most South African album. And basically, it was to celebrate Nelson Mandela's centenary, because he would have uh, turned 100 uh, that uh, that next year. Um, so we created the the album. And we actually described, the, the album's called Symphonic Soweto, a tribute to Nelson Mandela. And so it's about his life in Soweto and in South Africa and about the whole the, the, the road that he traveled. And so we had some traditional songs, some of the um, resistance songs as well that we've covered, and some new compositions as well for him.
1: Yeah, I love Soweto Travels. That was just, it's kind of hard to, you can't sit down listening to this album. You just have to dance. Or if you're not dancing, your arms are moving. Or it's like,
5: yeah, the Soweto Travels we, we wrote ourselves. And uh, the, um, that's one of the music pieces I'm. Most proud of, yeah, I uh, think
1: that was my favorite one.
5: Yeah, 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 and it was it was with us the Swede Gospel Choir and the KwaZulu Natal Philharmonic. So it was a very ambitious project, you know, full choir, full sixty piece orchestra, and it nearly drove me crazy and bankrupt. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Let's go together. (laughs)
2: <laughs> Isn't that part of what the arts and music is about? Going, you know, <laughs> suffering for your art?
5: Yeah, I know it was. it was. It was a very risky move, you know, to take. And once we started, we, um, we, you know, you can't stop it because you know, we just sort of faith, you know, believed in, in the next step is going to work out and, fo- and somehow managed to, to finish it and make it happen. Well,
2: I'd like yeah. to listen to, like, I think one of the things that's very interesting uh, uh, is uh, the Mandela Medley. Tell us a little bit about that and we'll play that.
5: Yes, that's the, uh, basically two songs that have um, survived over the last so many decades um, and they're both tributes to Nelson Mandela. So we combined these uh, two songs and then arranged it for symphony orchestra, flute and choir. Uh, for each of the songs, there was a different soloist from the from the choir.
2: Beautiful, it's beautiful. Well, let's take a listen to it. Mandela Medley from Symphonic Soweto. Yeah. That was from Stephonic Sueto, Mandela Medley with uh, Wouter Kellerman from uh, uh, Beautiful. That was 2017. That was just absolutely a great collaboration there, Wouter.
5: Thank you. Yeah, we, we, I just loved working with the choir. And actually, since then, I've been working with choirs very frequently. Um, we've done, you know, after Sueto Gospel Choir, we started working with the global Youth Choir, and that's actually a pretty amazing story because we we were supposed to do a corporate function with, and, and uh, Soweto Gospel Choir was busy, so Tulsi, my manager, was looking for another choir, and we found this choir a few hours outside of Johannesburg in Mutse, like a rural choir, uh, to do this uh, corporate function with us, and we just fell in love with them. They were amazing. They were just Um, And so I decided to do a song with them, so we covered Ed Sheeran's Shape of You um, and uh, we put that on YouTube and it went viral with uh, many millions of views in a few weeks. Then uh, America's Got Talent saw this clip and then uh, approached the choir and asked them to enter the America's Got Talent. And this was last, was, um, last year and then they went through the first round, through the second round, all the way to the finals and wow. that, made the, that made it for them. They came back home. They were complete celebrities. They've got so much work <laughs> that they cannot keep up. So this little rural choir that, um, that had no work, that was struggling, now cannot keep up with all the work. They have to split up and do, you know, part of the choir do the one concert in the party. And so it's just was it's really beautiful to be part of such a beautiful story for these kids.
1: So has the choir expanded then? Now that they more people now are saying, "Oh, this is a good thing to
5: yeah." So to they sometimes they, Sometimes they have to do three simultaneous gigs, so they split up and do it in three different places. So
1: well, that uh, collaboration—it was just you just feel the happiness with it. It just like it was boundless. The happiness collaboration
5: exactly, and that's that's typical of choirs in in South Africa. You know, um, we got really amazing uh, spirit. In the music that you can sense when you listen to them, and it's it's very difficult not to be swept up by it. You know, watch it or you listen to it, and you it's impossible
1: it. not to be swept up by it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, <It's> impossible.
5: <laughs> yeah. Well, along
2: with your work with choirs, you're very much involved with uh, the SOS Children's Village and everything. So, tell us a little bit about your what you do with that.
5: Um. Yes, I I love kids. You know, whether it's choirs, um, but I I've just always loved kids. And I feel like an investment in a child is such a good investment to make because if you can make a difference to a child's life, you know, a a solid difference, they carry that into their future and they affect everybody around them and their relationships. And when they have kids, their kids are affected. So it's an investment that that carries um, far into the future. And um, so uh, about 20 years ago, I started doing research on – How's the best way to give back to, to these kids or to help kids? Because in South Africa, we've got a huge need. So many kids don't have parents. They abandon, they, they live on the streets, or they've got parents that are abusive. So the SOS Children's Villages, I discovered them. They actually create families for kids without families. So they have a, a, a house mother and 10 children in a house. And they become they become family of each other, and that's in a in a bigger setting of a whole houses a whole lot of the houses together or in a little village. So these kids are now have their own family plus an extended family of the other houses around them, and it's just a beautiful project. It actually started off after the Second World War when so many kids lost their parents in the war, and um, so I decided I'm going to invest in these kids. So I've, since then I've been. Um, taking care of 10 kids in a house, all their living expenses. And so all my music um, sales and streaming sales go towards uh, the SOS Children's Villages. What a great way
2: to give back to community. I know uh, having worked in education and theater, and I'm... Uh actually friends with so many of my students from years ago all the way back from late 70s early 80s and yeah it's an important thing to you never know the mark you make but occasionally i'll get a note from facebook and my nickname's labs lab i want to tell you how much da 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 meant to me and something so it's that's a great thing you're doing there Wooter. moving yeah. on um i want to talk about uh something that you've done that was more contemporary covers and uh, uh a different light uh which came out in 2019 tell us about that album a little bit and you know, one of my favorites off of that we'll talk about.
5: Yeah, so basically I started off doing, after Symphonic Suetta, I was so exhausted <laughs> making big albums. And I just thought, I'm just going to have fun for a little while and just do whatever song comes up to my mind. So I started doing some really fresh versions of, of songs that I liked. Uh, and started with The Shape of You with the, with the choir and uh, Ariana Grande's Seven Rings we did a version of that and uh, many others. And eventually, when I looked again, we had enough material for an album. So this album wasn't planned. It just kind of happened. And that's basically just doing very fresh versions of, of favorite songs of mine. And it was just having fun and enjoying that, uh, that process.
2: Well, as you know, one of my favorites off of that, and it's also available on YouTube, is the your take on the Bohemian Rhapsody, set in like a closed-down bar with your manager um, actually, serving as a waitress, listening on headsets while you guys are, and you appear with multiple flutes in multiple places. So that where was that That's shot? An
5: exciting video. Yeah. Now we we actually it was I played all the vocal uh, you know all of Queen's vocal vocal parts. I I played all those parts on the flute. Plus, I did um, Brian May's electrical guitar on the flute. When you listen to the song, it sounds like electrical guitar because I actually put it through um, you know a distortion. The same kind of distortion that he would have put his guitar through, and it actually sounds pretty amazing. It was amazing. It was amazing. It. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so and I'm uh, playing simultaneous flutes. So when we made the video, we were like wondering how we're going to put this on video. And we had, I we had working with uh, some amazing video people in South Africa, and they they could actually put me on stage next to myself, you know, playing all the different flutes. There's also the contrabass flute there playing the bass parts. And then it's the night before uh, the shoot, and the, uh, he says, uh, we need, like, um, the, the person who's, who's uh, cleaning up, who's actually owning the, you know, closing up her, her restaurant or her bar. Uh, we need someone to play that role, and we couldn't find anybody else. So, Tulsi, my manager, said, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> and, uh, and then the idea was she, when she walks into her place, and she hears the music, but it sounds so real. It feels like we're there. And then we actually, I'm standing behind her playing, and when she looks around, suddenly I'm not there. So this whole play on that idea of she's hearing the music, it feels so real, but we're not really there. And that's how the, the music video came about.
2: I think I teased her on Facebook, did she get a modeling fee for working on that? So let's take a listen to Bohemian <laughs> Rhapsody, a uh, different light album in 2019. That was uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, A Different Light, 2019, Wooter Kellerman. And if you haven't seen that, you can look that up on uh, YouTube to see the video. It's tremendous. So
1: so do you work with the same, like all the videos are so wonderful with all the songs that you put out. So are they different? Um, do you work with different people or, or the yes, same?
5: Yes, we work, we work with different people. Uh, nobody really has the appetite to work with us for <laughs> many <laughs> because we... We're so fussy about things, you know, and we always want it. It happens in the music as well, that whoever I work with, I pretty much drive them crazy. But they usually, once, you know, once, because I'm I'm very perfectionistic about the music, you know, and I feel there's so much material that gets released every year that your music, if you're going to release something, it better stand out. It better be super special. So at least you have to absolutely love it to give it to any, you know, to have a chance of uh, that other people will love it. And that's quite a high bar, you know, so um, the mixing engineers and my fellow musicians normally go crazy, but then once they hear the final product afterwards, they forget about all the problems that we had, I mean, they always want to work with me again. But um, in the video world, um, we, we try and switch it up a little bit so it's not one poor videographer <laughs> who it, it has to <laughs> suffer with us. <laughs>
1: Who <laughs> endures. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Yeah, it's it's different, it's different um, videographers. And we're also limited in budget, you know. So often we have to, um, it's expensive to make all this music and all these videos. So it's quite difficult sometimes. Most of the time it's people that will go out of their way because they know it's something artistic, something beautiful that they create with us. And they do it because they're as passionate about it as we are. And that's normally when we get the best results.
1: Well, and it shows too, because they're just so visually beautiful
2: your newest album uh, we've known all times is sort of a kind of a pandemic created event tell us a little bit about the background of that Uh, uh, and it's also uh, in I'm hoping going to be nominated for a contemporary instrumental in the Grammys
5: thank you Uh, um, yeah basically I've had this idea to go back to my classical roots and uh, many of the songs that I've I've written over time was actually meant as modern classical pieces and uh, so When the pandemic hit um i suddenly had time to to put this album because it's been in my in my mind for a few years finally had time to make this happen but it was quite a challenge make it happen um, you know in in this distant world I I wrote three pieces for flute and piano with my very good friend and composer Bessel van Rensburg. he's based in Amsterdam in in Holland and so we wrote three pieces together with the with the pianist uh, Nadia Spachenko in mind and um, she she won the Grammy this year for best best, uh, classical compendium and so she's just an amazing pianist and she said yes we started with one piece and it looked so good that we actually ended up doing three pieces together uh, and we just released the first video actually two days ago it's called Catching up just flute and piano and um, and then and parallel to that I was working you know my one of my favorite composers is the tango composer Astor Piazzola Argentinian tango composer one of my favorite pieces is called Contrabajissimo. And so I worked with Emilio Sola, who's uh, this amazing pianist. He's also Grammy-nominated for, for his tango work and his group. And we, we did it. Here. They're based in New York, actually. And it was a lot of to and fro. You know, I send them files. They send me files. I send them... And I do some more takes, and they do some more takes, and we do edit. And, you know, it's been very, very challenging to put it together. But, you know, we finally managed it, and um, finally the album came together.
2: Excellent. Well, why don't we take a listen to it? I think the title track is We've Known All Times, and we'll listen to a portion of that uh, right now with Uter Kellerman from the same album, the same name. From we know all times, the title track of the same name, 2020s, a contemporary instrumental by Wooder Kellerman, beautiful. So
1: yeah, just love it.
2: So just a couple minutes left here. Wouter, how you're surviving the pandemic, and what's uh, in the future for you?
5: You know, the pandemic has been absolutely devastating for musicians um, <clears throat> because I I make usually um, make 90% of my income through live performances, and those have all been cancelled, and it's just been pretty devastating because you know over the last few years musicians have generally moved their model from a sales model to a performance model because you've been making we've been making less money from sales so people were kind of forced to to make more money on performing and now that we've moved across all the way to to focus on performing now all the performances are gone so it's been devastating financially It's it's been good in other ways creatively i think You know, I've never been this creative. I've created a lot of material and I've started two new albums at the same time. And um, so from that point of view, it's been good. But uh, it's not been an easy time for musicians all over the world. And I think next up, I think is, um, I'll just carry on with being creative and, and putting the material out there because that's, what I enjoy actually—that's the part of my job that I enjoy the most—is—is is, is being creative and um, and recording. I'm, 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 I count myself as one of the lucky ones because I had two pretty good years. I worked super, super hard, through, you know sixteen-hour days for the last two years, and I'm so grateful that I that I took every single opportunity that I could and that I didn't say no to anything. And I'm very grateful that I did that and I had a little bit of a. Reserve to carry me into this, this difficult
2: times. Well, we appreciate you coming on Art in the Air. That's Wouter Kellerman, flautist, composer, producer, uh, world and roots music, and everything. Also known as the Flute Painter. Thank you so much for coming on Art thank in the Air. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it.
5: Thank you, Larry, and Esther. It was really uh, lovely talking to you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you.